Hey, Pastor Bobby here. I'm so glad you're joining us to hear what God is sharing with our community here at Chapel. And I pray, I am praying right now for you, that this message will bless you. It'll be an inspiration to you. It will challenge you to be who God has called you to be and to do what God has called you to do. And so as we jump into the message, I pray that you open up your mind to God's word, open up your heart to God's spirit, and watch the two come together to bring a supernatural miracle in your life. So let's jump into what God is speaking to us right now. Well, good morning, Chapel. It is so good to see you this Sunday morning. How many of you are excited about the relief of the heat, the start of what looks like fall? Get a little bit of a break from this Alabama heat. Uh, this is your first time here. My name is Dylan. I'm one of the pastors. Our, our senior pastor, Pastor Bobby Gorley, is on his way back right now from Israel. And uh, we know that he had an incredible time there and just got refreshed and has a new um, v- literal view of, of Scripture. And so we're excited to see what wisdom he comes and brings to us after this trip. We're starting a new series today called Not Today, Satan. Uh, and the staff were talking about, we, we, we've been doing a book of the month kind of, um, and we started with Dr. Kendall's book, and then we had Joyce Meyer's Battlefield of the Mind, and we're wrapping that up. And with Not Today, Satan, we're talking about the attack of the enemy on our lives, and we were like, Pastor, your book is literally about that. So uh, it, it, we, we suckered them into it. How many of you have read Tactics? If someone sitting next to you is not raising their hand, look at them and tell them, you need to read Tactics. The book, it will be for sale in the lobby. I'm, I'm smiling because his own daughter didn't raise her hand that she read the book. It's terrible. Uh, the book is for sale in the lobby for $15. Alicia, I'll buy you one if you need help with that. Uh, but if make, seriously, make yourself available to that. Pastor Bobby has a message for you in that book um, that I believe is going to help you and your family uh, and, your, and your walk with the Lord. We are talking about uh, for today specifically protecting our family from the attacks of the enemy. So real quick, I want to just read to you John 10.10. 10. It says, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So we're talking specifically about family today. And I want to preface, uh, in, in today's culture, in our society, everyone's family has different dynamics. You may come from a single parent home. Maybe you're, you're, you're a student and you're in a split home situation. Maybe you're in the, the quote unquote ideal family situation. Uh, maybe you're single, look, you're, you're looking single and ready to mingle. You know, I don't know where you're at, uh, but, but everyone has a family. And so I believe that uh, we have some principles today that will help you in that and your role in your family uh, that will help protect you and your family from the attacks of Satan on your house. Uh, Real quick, uh, I'm going to talk a lot about my family today. Uh, So I want to introduce them to you, if you can throw that picture up there. This is my wife, Abby, and my two boys, Mac and Griffin. Uh, Abby is such a blessing to me. Uh, She's very compassionate and and very pure and innocent, all the things I am not. Uh, She loves my children. She's a homemaker, and I'm very, very grateful for her in my life. Um, Mac is my two-year-old. There's a picture of him riding next to me in a Jeep, I believe. Um, and he is all about the party. Uh, he is very loud. I, I used to think, I was like, well, terrible twos won't be that bad. I keep, you know, my, my kids are fairly disciplined, whatever, but it's a real thing. I, I just want to go on record and say that every single two-year-old you meet is a terrorist in some way. Uh, and Mac just turned two in July, so we're in full swing right now. Uh, but he is he's very good with his words if you talk to him. He's actually at two years old, starting to talk back. So yesterday I was getting on to him for something. And he said, Dad, what are you talking about? And I'm like, you're two. You're not supposed to know how to do that yet. Uh, and then I have Griffin, who is, my wife informed me during worship, he is seven months, not six months. And Griffin has two settings. He's either happy or he is hangry. As you can tell, 
He likes to eat. He doesn't skip a meal. Um, so that is my, that is my family. Um, sorry. Sorry, Ben. Ben's going to yell at me for touching the microphone. Um, so my family uh, is very, very dear to me. I'm in an awesome season of life right now. Um, so I, I, as I talk to you today about family and protecting them from the attacks of the enemy, I'm going to talk to you about some of the things I feel like I'm doing right. So to, to let you know, I have feet made of clay. Uh, I have a story for you of my most recent dad fail. So you can feel that picture of Mac up in the Jeep back. So we're riding around downtown Nashville, not downtown Nashville. We were riding around outside of Nashville, I guess, uh, the other day, just hanging out. And uh, we were having a good time. And Mac likes fast and loud cars. And this is my buddy's Jeep, and the exhaust is completely cut off. So, like, you can't hear yourself thinking it. So he loves it. So we're riding around, goofing off, and he falls asleep. Now, I don't know about you. I had some of the best naps of my life in a hot car in a garage. Like my, I would fall asleep running errands with my mom and she would pull into the garage and just open all the doors of the van. And I would sit there as like a four-year-old just sweating, but in the deepest sleep. Like that was the best nap growing up ever. So I'm, I'm thinking, man, Mac is, dude's cashed out. Like this is gonna be awesome. I'm like getting excited for how good he's napping. So I pull up in my buddy's yard, park the Jeep, open the door so there's a slight breeze, thinking like I'm seriously getting giddy. Like, man, this kid is gonna wake up so rested. I'm so glad he has this experience, trying to be a good dad, right? So I'm sitting on the porch where I took this photo from, and uh, I'm, I'm playing a game on my phone, and I hear, thud. And I look up, and he rolled out of the Jeep, which those are 40-inch tires. He rolled out of the Jeep, and I see him on his back, arching his back, doing that silent cry. And I, I'm, I'm like, okay. It's funny now. Then I freaked out a little bit. So I like ran down the stairs. I picked him up and I like pulled his shirt up. And I was like, did you shatter your spine? Are you okay? I'm freaking out. He's freaking out. Uh, he's okay. He's a tough kid. But that was my most recent dad fail. I just wanted to share that with you. That was free. You can have that. Uh, so now let's talk about some of the things I feel like I'm doing right. Uh, so... Family looks absolutely different for everyone. I think you have to understand your role in your family. If you're a husband, a father, a mother, a child, uh, a sister, brother, whatever. Uh, everyone has a role in their family. And God designed the first family as, as, a, as a husband and father, a, a wife and mother, and the children. Uh, I believe that it, is, um, that it is the perfect design of God. There to be a husband, a wife with children. He created Adam and he decided, I, I love that that scripture where it says it is not good for man to be alone. Uh, I think that is so funny. I don't know why, uh, but it's not good for man to be alone. So God makes Eve a companion, a partner for him. And, and the first thing God tells the first family is be fruitful and multiply. That's the first thing God said. There's been no fall of man. Everything's perfect. Everything's peachy keen. He says, be fruitful and multiply. Enjoy your life and have kids. That's the first thing God said. That tells me that if that all happened before the fall of man, that tells me that family is only a good thing when it is inside the confines that God designed it in. Family is not a solution to man's sin because it, 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 was, it was created before the fall of man. It's not a solution to man's sin. Family is a manifestation of the perfect medium of worship. Every single one of you in this room, every single thing you see, touch, and feel was created with the one purpose of giving God glory. I was made to glorify God. You were made to glorify God. That's it. That's your purpose on this earth. Now, how you do that is unique to you. God's placed a special calling on your life and designed you for a specific purpose. But every single person, every single thing is made to give God glory, including the family. And Satan does not want you to give God glory. He does not want you to fulfill his purpose. He's going to attack your family. God did not create family after the fall of man. Family is a testament to the goodness of God. And Satan's number one goal 
is to attack your family and get you to stop giving God glory. We read in John, <coughs> excuse me, we read in John chapter 10 that Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He comes to steal your family's unity. He comes to kill your intimacy and destroy your relationships. Jesus came that you would have life and have it abundantly. I love that he specified abundantly. I think that's such a powerful word. And I feel like sometimes when, we, when we're going through a hard time, when we're walking through a trial and, and we're facing opposition, we walk into it thinking, well, it's, this isn't God's will for my life. And it's not, but God's will is not to get you back to zero. God's will is not for you to overcome that sickness. It's for you to be whole and healthy. God's will for your life is not for you to be broke and, and struggling to pay your bills. God's will for your life is to have every single thing you need provided for you. God's will is not zero, it's abundance. It's not about bad things not happening, it's about good things happening. That is God's will for your life. And it is our job as, as, as a family member, I am only responsible for my individual role as a husband and a father. And it's my job to make sure my family gives God glory. And I, I protect them from the attacks of the enemy. I wanna ask a question, this is rhetorical, but what is one thing in your family's life that would cause you to feel abundance? Would it be, would it be a date night? Maybe, maybe you're like super stressed out. Maybe you got a toddler that, that is a legit terrorist and maybe the solution is just getting a good old bedtime routine that you get in bed at a nice early hour. All the parents are a little set, amen. Maybe your family needs a vacation. Now, me and Abby got married super young. Uh, we got married when we were like 12 years old. Um, we... <laughs> It, I was December, I graduated in May from high school. We got married in December, all the teenagers with both parents' blessings on that. My in-laws are actually here today, by the way. Thank you for driving down. Um, yeah, give them a hand, praise God. So I'll just tell it, I've got time in this service. So when I asked my father-in-law, Gary, if I can marry Abby, he's got a very dry sense of humor. And I, you know, I did my spiel, my 18-year-old spiel of, I love your daughter, I just wanna take care of her and be with her forever, yada, yada. Can I have your blessing to marry your daughter? And he's very, very dry humor, he straight face just said, no. <laughs> so at 18, I was like, well, this didn't go how I planned. This wasn't part of the conversation. Of course, he was kidding and gave me his blessing, which I'm very grateful for. Um, but. We got married super young and because of that, we started life early. And so we just, you know, I'm not in a place at 25 to go take up my two kids and travel to Europe and do all the stuff I see on Instagram. So if you're in need of a vacation, there's this thing I like to call a staycation. Florence has a lot of really cool stuff to do. Take a couple days off work and go hang out at parks with your family. And I bet it would be super refreshing to you guys to just hang out and spend quality time together. I do know this. Jesus desires for family to be a blessing, not a burden. If your family feels like a burden, you need to check where your priorities are at. And you need to check if there's something in your family that's not glorifying God. And maybe you need to make some personal changes in your life. Maybe you need to hold some family members accountable. Family is supposed to be a blessing in your life. So here's the question. If, if we have an enemy that is trying to attack our family, that's trying to take the things that God has for us, how do we protect against that? What is my authority as a believer? What power do I have? What say do I have? Matthew chapter 16, verse 13 says, now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do you say that the son of man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. <coughs> he said to them, but what do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. 
And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but by my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. He gave him a new name. And on this rock, Peter means rock, on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven." That tells me that if I have the keys of the kingdom of heaven, I have the authority to call heaven down into my home. Revelation 1.14, this is a vision that John had of heaven. He said, the hairs of his head were white like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. That tells me that I have the keys to the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of heaven holds the keys of death, hell and the grave. Meaning I have the ability to call protection from heaven down into my life and my family. That tells me two things. It tells me that hell has no power over me or my family. It has no vote in our situation, in our finances, our health, in in, in our marriage. Hell has no vote. It has no say. It has no power. I have the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and the kingdom of heaven holds the keys of death, hell, and the grave. And the second thing that it tells me is that I cannot rid the hell in my life. I cannot rid the hell out of my family unless I get to heaven first. What I'm saying is that whatever sin is in your life, whatever hurt is in your heart, whatever brokenness you're feeling will never go away until you get to Jesus. That is the only solution. So real quick, I have three things, three keys that I believe are going to unlock heaven in your family. (coughs) When I was growing up, my dad pastored a church in Nashville um, and it, it was a, a fairly large, large church, the, the structure itself. There was a lot, a lot of buildings, a lot of doors. Uh, some of you may know my dad's story. He spent some time incarcerated in prison. And I don't know if it was just like made him feel like home in his church, whatever that he was pastoring. But he was like, I want every door locked all the time. And of course we were like, why? You got out of prison. Why do you want all the doors locked? But anyways, so every door had to be locked all the time. Now, <clears throat> it was a large church, lots of buildings, lots of doors. So there was a lot of keys So you cannot sneak around anywhere if you have the keys to this church in your pocket. I mean, it was like Santa Slay is coming into the room right now, just jingle, jingle. So my dad used to walk around and he would take his keys and he would flip them and catch them and you'd hear them clink. And he used to say, I got the keys, I got the keys, I got the keys of sickness and disease. And what he was saying, what what was funny then, thinking like, you know, he has the keys to the church, it's the answer to, to the world's problems. What he was really saying is, hey, as a believer, I have the authority to call heaven down. So I have three things for you real quick that I believe are keys that are going to unlock heaven in your family. Number one, they do all start with a P, I have to warn you. I read a book this week that told me not to do this, make all your points start with one letter, but I didn't listen. So number one, the first key is prayer. Spend time in prayer with and for your family. James 5.16 says, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. I've got quick five subpoints of things you should pray for in your family. Number one, you should pray for unity. If we're fighting each other, we can't fight the enemy. You should pray for unity in your life. Now, I want to say this. Pray for unity 
and then act accordingly. So I, I make this mistake sometimes. There's you know, great, lots of scriptures about being nice and kind and gentle. You know, Colossians 3.12, since God chose you holy and beloved, but on a heart of humility, gentleness, kindness, and patience, all the things I am naturally not. And, and, and I know these scriptures. I like reading the word of God. And, and when I'm out in public, you know, I'm trying to behave that way. I'm trying to, I'm trying to show people Jesus. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm walking in the spirit. Letting, but it's like I walk into my home and I, it's like, okay, I can relax now. I can really be me. Well, it's just my wife. She knows who I really am. And I'm not those things to her. And then I wonder why there's not intimacy in my marriage. Or I wonder why if I come home and I, I'm short with my kids and I, I'm, I'm, cr- I'm crass with them. And then I wonder why they don't want to hang out with dad. It's because you're not doing the principles and, and the precepts that are in Scripture. You should pray for unity and then act accordingly. Number two, pray for health. God heals. He still heals today, just like he did in that Scripture. When, uh, like I said, me and my wife got married young, and I had, a, I had an awesome childhood. I'm not, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I grew up in a very good home. We were very well off, didn't go through a lot of problems, didn't see a lot of crises. And so the, the hardest thing I ever walked through was, you know, I, I'd been married for, uh, how long were we married? Two years when Mac was born? Three, four, whatever. Three years. Thank you. Love you. So uh, three years into our marriage, <laughs> my first son is due. And I'm so excited. I'm actually in Dallas on a missions trip, and he decided to come early. So I jumped on an airplane, rushed home, got home in time to see my son be born. So he, dude's born, super awesome, such an awesome moment. Um, and then we started getting some, some rough news from the doctor. It got a little bit worse and a little bit worse and a little bit worse. And Mac ended up in the NICU. They've got a picture they can throw up there. So it got to the point, day, it, it, you know, day one, it was like, he's not doing body temperature well. We're going to put him under a heat lamp. And then day two, it was like, okay, we're going to admit him to the NICU. He's got some lung problems. And then day three, he was on a ventilator that was breathing for him, pumping pure oxygen into him. He had a, a, a feeding tube, IVs all over him. And uh, it was, as a father, my heart is being ripped out of my chest for my son that's laying in his bed and I can't do anything at all. And I, I'm, I'm breaking on the inside. Never been through anything really hard. And uh, <clears throat> the nurses wouldn't let us put our hands on him because of germs or whatever. You know, his immune system was not in any way developed. But they would let us put one hand on top of his head and one on the bottom of his feet. So we would pray for him. And I would pray, God, if you don't move, no one else will. Our, our NICU doctor was named Dr. Pop, and she was from some Western European country. She had horrible English and an even worse bedside manner. Uh, and she said, she, I, remember, I remember her words very vividly. Uh, she said, he's not breathing well. It's not good. And that was it. I was like, okay, well, what are we going to do about it? Uh, and so we started talking. Hey, thanks, man. Appreciate that. So we started uh, just walking down that road and, and dealing with looking at my son who's laying here fighting for his life. And, and all I could do was pray. And so we, we would pray for him every day. The nurses at the hospital were incredible. Um, nurses are a gift from God. And they, they would actually lay hands on us as we prayed for him. It was so encouraging. Um, and I just, I, I remember praying for my son. It was the first time that I was like, I, I, I truly needed an intervention from heaven. <clears throat> and I remember, I never doubted if my son was gonna live. I never thought he was gonna die. I, I didn't know what was going to happen, but I knew that wasn't because God's word was true. And Day three was the worst it got where he was on that. Day two, they were able to turn the oxygen down a little bit. He started absorbing more. And then, <clears throat> excuse me, day five, it got to where he was, he was doing a little bit better. And they were like, you know, he'll, he'll be here at least two more weeks. And they had to do some procedures where they poked a hole in the side. And then, you know, long story short, the, the diagnosis kept getting better and better and better and better. And what was supposed to be some three week to a month endeavor turned into one week. 
that we were in the NICU and we got to take him home and he's healthy now. And I believe that that is because of the prayer of people that love the Lord, that knew him. I'm telling you that God heals. The third thing you should pray for in your family is intimacy. I believe intimacy is a vital key to a healthy family between spouses, between siblings, between parents and, and their children, whatever. <clears throat> I believe intimacy is a, is a very important thing for a family to be a family unit the way that God designed it to. I talked to you a minute ago about how when I, you know, some, sometimes I'm guilty of coming home and just like, I can relax now. You know, I, don't, I don't have to act like a Christian here in my house, which that's, com- that's a complete, not that that's a literal thing that I think to myself, but you come home and you relax and all of a sudden you're being mean to people that you wouldn't be mean to otherwise because they, they know me, it's, it's just my wife or it's just my kids, whatever. And the problem with that is that doesn't create intimacy. Intimacy and familiarity are very similar. Familiarity will allow me to do that where I just relax, you know, right? I'll, I'll say something I may not say in, in public, just, you know, it may, it, may, it may hurt or cut, but I'm in my house, whatever, you know? And intimacy and familiarity are very similar. The only difference in intimacy and familiarity is honor. The absolute only difference is honor and respect. If I honor and respect my wife, it's intimacy. If I don't and I just know her really well, it's familiarity. And one of them will kill and one of them will build. You have that option. If you're gonna put intimacy in your home, you have to put honor and respect in your heart. The fourth thing you should pray for is pray for protection. Every single night when I lay my boys down in bed, I lay my hands on them and I pray God uh, grow them big and strong. I always pray that I would raise solutions to tomorrow's problems. And then I ask the Lord that he would surround our house with an army of angels. And I believe that he does that. The fifth thing you should pray for is provision. Provision, um, <clears throat> I believe that, you know, God cursed man and said that, that we'll have to work the earth all days of our lives. So it, and I believe as in, in, in my home, it is my job as the husband and father to go to work and, and to supply the needs of my family. I don't think it's wrong for ladies to work. I'm not saying that. I just believe it is, it is my responsibility to provide for my family. It's a personal belief I have. When me, like I told you, me and Abby got married super young. We lived in Texas. I was working at a, a church over 30 hours a week and going to school full time. I was getting paid, you know, without like a thousand bucks a month for my internship at this church. And uh, she was a receptionist there and the bills just weren't getting paid. And I was like, okay, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to get a second job here. Like I got, I got to provide for my family. <clears throat> so I, I went by Kroger real quick. I have to stop and tell you a previous story that I skipped. These shoes I'm wearing are very important to this story. So my mom bought me these shoes when I was in high school. And she was like, now only wear these on special occasions because they're expensive. And I was like, okay, cool. So I think I wore them like to church twice and then I just slipped them in the back of my closet because I was, you know, you know, when you're in high school, what are you doing that's that important? So I stuck it in the back of my closet and then I'm like, oh man, I gotta get married. So I need some nice shoes. So, <laughs> so I pulled them out for my wedding day and I wore these on my wedding day and then we're in, I put them back in the closet, right? So we're in Texas and I'm like, I gotta go, I gotta get another job to provide for my family. And I was like, that's kind of important. I was like, I better put on some nice shoes. So I pull my shoes back out. I go to this open interview at Kroger. No one told me open interviews, pretty much you get the job if you just show up. So I show up and like, you know, I've got my slacks on and a nice button down shirt. Of course I get the job. Uh, as a, like, I think I started out as a bag boy or something. Um, and the, but the first day they're like, Dylan, can you get here early and show people, show the new Show, show the other people, let us show you around the store and then you can show the other employees around the store. And I was like, done, got a promotion, day one, got it. So <laughs> I started wearing these shoes every time I went to Kroger. I worked my way up, I was frontline supervisor. You know, woohoo, I got to wear the red vest. Uh, and so 
But I remember I would have to close this store. I'd work 40 plus hours at Kroger. I'd work 30 plus hours at the church and go to school full time. And I'd always wear these shoes to Kroger because it would remind me I'm providing for my family. I'm providing for my family. It was important. These are my Abbey shoes. I really only wear these on dates now. But I remember it would be like midnight and I'd be out in this dark parking lot in Texas pushing shopping carts inside a building that I grew to vehemently hate. And, <laughs> but I would remember I'm providing for my family. I'm providing for my family because these shoes are uncomfortable and they're a constant reminder that I'm providing for my family. These are my Abbey shoes. Uh, back to my story. What was I talking about? Help me out, babe. Provision, provision, I'm talking about provision. So I went and I provided for my family. I wanna say this, it is my job to work and to work my tail off to provide for my family, but it is God's job to provide. It's not my job to provide for my family. If I seek first the kingdom of God, everything that I need will be added to my life. So pray for provision, work hard and pray for provision. And I believe that God will supply all of your needs because he promised to do that. The second key that I believe you need to unlock heaven in your home is proximity. Spend time and energy doing things and being present with your family. God recognized family as one of mankind's needs before the fall of man. What that tells me is in, in, in my wholeness and in a perfect situation, if I was complete, I would still have an innate need for family in my life. I would still need parents, I would still need a wife, I would still need siblings. Psalms 127, three through five says, children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are a child born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in court. If I go to Walmart late at night and some guy comes up and tries to rob me and take my belongings and harm my family and I've left my gun at home, that gun is no use to me. It doesn't matter how good of a shot I am or how quick I am or how brave I am in those moments, it's useless in that moment. A weapon is only as good as, as, it, as its proximity to you. And that goes for children. Yes, they are weapons. Yes, they are arrows. But they are only useful to the extent that you keep them near, that you invest in them, that you pour into them. And I would argue the same will go for your spouse. I do want to say this. There's a difference in being together and being present. I was reading a study by McKinley Irvin Law Group. They're a divorce court lawyer, and they conducted a study that found that one in seven married couples have contemplated divorce because of their partner's social media activity. I, I, have, I have games on this phone that I like to play, and my wife lets me know every time that I'm playing them. There are good things on this phone that are fun, that are not wrong. But if the things that are in your hand, on the phone, on the computer, or whatever, whatever hobby you may have, if they rob you of the ability to develop your children, they're wrong. If they rob you of the ability to have intimacy with your spouse, they're wrong. Don't hold on to this. Being together is not the same thing as being present. You have to be in the room and intentional with, with what you're doing and your time. Spend time together. Real quick, here's three things that you can do to spend time together. Three, three ways to spend time. Spend time playing. If you, how many of you have a teenager? Raise your hand. Awesome, awesome. I'll see it parent preview. If you have a teenager, if you try to take everything seriously, they will take nothing seriously. There has to be some give and take. Spend time playing. Go bowling. If you have small kids, be excited about what they're excited about. Mac shows me the same toy car every 10 minutes and I just get excited about it over again. Do fun stuff with your kids. Chapel has a fall fest coming up at the end of this month. We've already got our kids' costumes. Mac's gonna be Buzz Lightyear. 
I think they have a picture. Boom, buzz. Got it, precious. I know, I know. He takes after me. And Griffin is going to be Rex because he's huge and he looks like a dinosaur. All right. Have fun with your kids. Go walk around the park. Take turns picking date nights with your spouse. Take your kids out. I took Mac camping a few months ago. He had the time of his life. We went and camped by all the big RVs in, in McFarland Park, but he didn't know any different. Uh, we just had a good time out there. He woke up kind of tired, uh, but all in all, every time we talk about camping, he is like stoked to be there. Yeah, he woke up a little tired, but we had fun. <laughs> Spend time playing and spend time serving with each other. Model serving for your, ch- for your children. Go to a soup kitchen. Go help out at the Dream Center. Do something that shows them how to spend themselves in a worthy cause. Take them on mission trips. A chapel has a heart for Haiti. We have a church campus there. There's lots of opportunities to take your, your, uh, your high schoolers on mission trips. I want to say this. The greatest testament to me of, of what a man is supposed to behave like was watching my dad serve people. Uh, we, I, I told you, you know, we grew up fairly, fairly well off and it was never uncommon for him to pull out a $100 bill and leave it on the table for a waitress. Or I, I, we would go over to Africa or India or whatever, some third world country, and I would see him, uh, you know, out of, the, out of the goodness of his heart, just begin to, to, to minister to these people that had nothing and he would be so generous. And the greatest testament was his behavior, was his actions, was seeing him be generous. Spend your life for others. I, here's one thing that I know. I know that I will never have less for giving something away. I'll never have less time for, for giving somebody my time. I'll never have less money for giving somebody my money. I'll never have less food for giving somebody some food. I'll never have less for giving something away. Your greatest testament to your kids, your greatest testament to your spouse, to your siblings, to your parents, your greatest testament to the lost and hurting world will not be in conversations or lessons. It will be in your actions and your behavior. Spend time together. The last one I want, want to talk about for, uh, for proximity is to spend time dreaming. I saw an awesome quote this week that said, don't quit your daydream. Teach your kids to dream big dreams. There's two men named Adrian Rogers and Bill Bright. And Adrian Rogers pastored an incredible church. He had a massive ministry. And Bill Bright was, was his mentor. And he, uh, he, um, he attributed much of his success to Bill Bright's leadership. And uh, I, he said that the reason was is because he taught him how to dream. So Adrian Rogers would say, would say I, I need to raise a million dollars this month, thinking he's shooting for the stars. And Bill Bright would always, would always stretch him and be like, I need to raise $10 million. I, I need 1,000 I need people to join my church this month. I need 10,000 people to join my church this month. And he taught him how to dream big dreams and stretched him and grew him. And I think we, as a family, we should do that for each other. So I have a rule in my house. I don't care what my kids decide to do. If Griffin decides he wants to be a professional hot dog contest eater, that's fine. But the rule is you have to be the best. I don't care what you do. If you choose to be a, a cashier at Walmart, that's, that's 100% fine, but you have to be the best there is. You have to be the best customer service. You have to be the best dressed. You just have to be the best. You can do whatever you want, but be the best. Maybe with your spouse, maybe you need to pull some dreams out of them. Maybe you need to pull some dreams out of your parents and encourage them and lift them up. Dream big dreams. Spend time dreaming together. Sit down at the kitchen table and be like, what would it look like if we were given a million dollars right now? What would we do with it? Dream. Three keys. Prayer, proximity, and the last one. Again, I told you it all starts with a P, but (laughs) the last one is purposeful actions. It's intentionality. 
live your life as a family on purpose. Colossians 1.16 says, for by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Your purpose and your family's purpose is to glorify God. With that in mind, how you do that is unique to your individual talents and your giftings and your family's dynamic. How you glorify God is different for each and every family. But that is your purpose on this earth. So you have to ask yourself, what are my giftings? What is my family's resources? What's our story? You overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony. So what's your story? What has God given you to glorify him with? My family's purpose, what I've decided for my family, my family's purpose is to raise solutions to tomorrow's problems. That's what I care about. I, want my, I know it's a dark world out there and it may be getting worse. I don't care. I'm raising bigger and better men that are gonna solve those problems tomorrow. That's my, that's my goal as a father with my kids. I think you have to define your purpose. So for me and my family, I have a code of conduct of what I think it means to be a Davis. And it has four pillars, honor, integrity, strength, and compassion. We honor the past, present, and the future. We honor the past by thanking veterans and service members. We honor the present by always doing our best and thanking police officers. And we honor the future by leaving everywhere we go better than we find it. Last night we were over at River Bottom Grill and a, my, my son was getting bored, so I was like, let's walk down this, let's walk down this pier and look at the boats, because honestly, I was getting bored too, and he's an awesome excuse for my impatience. So we're walking down the, the dock looking at these boats, and this police boat rolls up, and this thing was decked out, and it was so awesome. So these, this giant cop gets off. Dude is just jacked. And uh, he, he's, he's got, you know, his serious face on. There was a drunk lady they arrested right after this encounter. It was totally awesome. But, so this dude gets off just... J- yacked. I mean, the guy's massive. And I'm like, man, I don't want my kid to be afraid of this guy. And I was like, Mac, give him a high five. And this cop like flipped a switch and turned into the biggest goofball and like played with Mac for a minute. And then he went and arrested the the lady. Uh, But it was just so awesome (laughs) because I wanted my son to know like, hey, honor that guy. Honor people. Honor is never about your ability to, your, it's, honor is not about your ability to receive it. Honor is about your ability to give it. Honor speaks to the person giving it. Can you honor that person? Are you in a position, are you whole enough to give respect to that person when they may not deserve it? The second pillar to being, to being <clears throat> a Davis is integrity. I believe you should always do what's right and always tell the truth no matter what. Strength. I believe that we should strive to be strong mentally, physically, and spiritually. I'm working on the physically right now. Uh, And then (laughs) compassion. I believe you should always be kind. And if you see a need, fill it to spend your life in service to others. That's the code of conduct for my family. That's what I believe we're about. I want to say this. I I want to challenge you to create your own code of conduct for your family. Write it down. What are you about? What do you believe in? How do you behave as a family? What does it mean to be a, insert your last name? Because when you know what you're about, it's really easy to decide what you're not about. It's really easy to say what you don't do after that. And then you need to create accountability by mutual understanding of what you are about. Sit down at the kitchen table, write that out and be like, hey man, well, you know, we, we don't do this. How, Howard's don't use those words. Whatever, just write it out and share it with each other and hold each other accountable. Know what you're about. And then do things that empower your family to live purposefully. Encourage intentionality. Here's what I know. I'm going to end with this. I have the keys to unlock heaven in my family's life. 
through the power of the Holy Spirit, the wisdom of God, I can set me and my family up to receive all of his wonderful blessings in our life. Here's the truth. It's not about the blessings. It's about him. It's about getting to Jesus. It doesn't matter what hell you're rebuking in your life. If you don't get to Jesus, you are in danger. That is your protection. That is your refuge, your strength, and your shield. If you want to keep the enemy from your family, get them to Jesus. Here's your take home. Your role in your family, next to being a devoted follower of Jesus Christ, is the most important thing that you are. Your family is the first thing that Satan will attack and it is your job to protect it. Before I'm ever a pastor, I'm a husband and a father. Before I'm ever a student at whatever university, I'm, I'm a husband and a father. Before I'm ever a citizen of Alabama or the United States or whatever, I'm a husband and a father. Your position in your family, your role, is the most important thing you are next to being a devoted follower of Jesus Christ. I want to read in Ephesians chapter 6. Verse 13 says, Stand your ground, and after you have done everything to stand, stand firm. I want everyone in the room, I want you to raise your hand just as high as you possibly can. Lift your hand up. Now raise it a little bit more. Every single hand in the room just went up a little bit more. You can put your hands down. Stand your ground, and after you've done everything to stand, stand firm. Meaning when you've done all you can do, keep doing it. When you've prayed all that you can pray, keep praying. When you've poured all you have into your marriage, into your family, into your children, and they're not listening and your marriage is falling apart, rely on 1 Corinthians where it says, love hopes all things and believes all things. Don't give up when you've done all you can do, keep doing it. When you have wept at the feet of Jesus for that child of yours that is walking away from the things of God, don't stop praying now. When you've done all you can do to stand, then stand firm. The fact that the scripture tells us that there's an enemy, tells me there's gonna be opposition in my life. There's gonna be attacks. But I have an all-powerful, all-present all God and the enemy is none of those things. I have the keys of heaven. I'm gonna ask that the band come back up. We're gonna spend just a few minutes in prayer here. It's not about the blessings of God. I'm not trying to protect my family so we can have more money. I'm not even trying to protect my family so we can have good health or, or, or whatever. I'm trying to protect my family so they can get to Jesus. And if you're in this room today and you'd say, you know what? I've been pursuing the blessings of God without pursuing the person of God. You're asking for God's blessings outside of his will and they don't exist there. If you'd say, I don't know Jesus, I'm gonna ask every head to bow in this room. If that's you and you'd say, I need to get to Jesus, would you just raise your hand? Awesome, let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for your grace and your mercy. I thank you for the people that have decided to follow you today and I pray that your Holy Spirit would move in them, God, that you would write their names in the Lamb Book of Life. We love you so much. I've got one more response time. If I can get, if, if there are prayer partners here or pastors, if you guys could come down front. I wanna spend just a few minutes in prayer. If, if your family is being attacked right now, 
If your finances are being attacked, your health is being attacked, maybe your children are walking away from God, maybe there's discourse in your home. If that's you, I'm gonna pray in just a second. When I say amen, if that's you, don't wait. Just stand up and come down here and agree in faith that God's gonna do what he promised he would do. That if you get to Jesus, he will take care of the rest. The song we're about to sing, we, we, we sang it at Seek this past Wednesday. It's called Nothing Else. I just need Jesus. If you can get to Jesus, you can unlock heaven in your home. God, I thank you so much for your grace and your mercy. I thank you that, that you're an all-powerful, all-loving God that when we don't know what to do, you still have the answers. And God, I pray for every family in this room that's under attack by the enemy right now. God, we rebuke that in the name of Jesus. And I call down blessings and favor from heaven on their lives and their relationships. God, I pray that as we pray to, to you right now, I pray that your Holy Spirit would mend broken hearts, the hurting, the lost. God, that you would call the, the, the prodigal sons back. God, I pray for the, the families and the marriages in this room that need a little bit more intimacy. I pray that you would just begin to move and work in them, Lord. And God, ultimately, it's not about your blessings. We don't, we don't desire to only have good finances. We don't desire to only have good health. God, we don't desire to only have good marriages. We desire you, and you will produce those things, God. We just need you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you need prayer, stand to your feet and come down front.